Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. How many of you are ready for the word this morning? If you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn to the book of Micah. Micah is where we're going to be. If you have a physical copy um, and you don't know where Micah is, if you have the same Bible as me, it's page 868. If you, need to turn to your t- if you need to turn to your table of contents, you can turn to your table of contents. If you're on an app, then you just scroll until you see Micah and you go ahead and hit that button. Micah is one of those, those less known or, or maybe less read. He's one of the minor prophets. And so he kind of gets lost at the back end of the, the Old Testament. But as we're reading through the Bible chronologically, we get to, to Micah a little bit early in the prophet, prophet simply because of when he when he lived, when he served, during the kings that he, he served under or served with. And, uh, and so we're going to be in Micah. We've been reading in, in our plan uh, Isaiah, and, and we just got done uh, with Kings. We just got done with Chronicles. We've got some more of Second Kings to get into, but that'll come later on. Uh, but at, at this point in history, what we've seen is, is as I said, you know, kings have, have come, kings have gone. There's been good kings, there's been, there's been bad kings, um, there are kings that have done right in God's sight, there are kings that have done evil in God's sight. Most of the, the kingdom of Israel, which is the northern kingdom now that they've been split into, most of the kings in Israel, for the most part, are, are pretty bad guys. Like they, they, they really don't care what God has to say until... They're going into battle, and they need somebody to, to tell them that they're going to win. They, they don't seek the Lord. They don't worship the Lord. They, they worship him sometimes indeed, but really not so much in their hearts. And Judah is a little bit different, though not really. In Judah, we'll see a good king, and then we'll see his son come to power. And, and sometimes the son will, will try and write what the father has done. Sometimes the son will, will tear down some of those those altars in high places and, and return the nation to, to, to God, to worship of God. But, but for the most part, they're, they're repeating the same pattern that we've seen really throughout Scripture. As we've been reading through the Old Testament, God has, has delivered Israel from Egyptian slavery. He led them through the, the desert. And even during their journey in the desert, there were times where they said, we just want to go back. Take us back, because at least there we had, we had meat, and we had bread, and we had onions, and we had garlic, and there were graves for us to be placed into, and here we are in the desert with nothing, and we're going to die in this miserable place, and then God would provide. And they would thank God, and then a couple weeks later, they would start complaining again. And, and it was this constant, this constant teeter-tottering between being obedient to God and, and following his ways, and then being selfish and following their own ways and always going back and forth. And it carried into the book of Judges. We saw in, in the book of Judges how time and time again, they would, they would rebel against God. God would send this foreign people group to come and oppress them. They would repent. God would send a judge to deliver them. There would be peace in the land. And then they would rebel again and time and time again. And it, it didn't stop when the kings came around. Saul was the first king. And for a period of time, Saul did good. And then he got jealous of David and took his eyes off God, put him on David and started doing things against God's word. And then David came, the man after God's own heart. And for a long time, David did great. And then he, 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 he had moral failure with Bathsheba. 
Solomon came along and Solomon did great. First thing he asked God for was wisdom. And for a period of time, Solomon did awesome. And then he took for himself hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines and they led his heart away from God. And God comes to Solomon and says, because you've done this, now there must be judgment. There must be discipline. Now we've seen throughout 1 Kings and most of 2 Kings, good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings. And it's this this constant teeter-tottering that that it's easy for us to read and look at. And it's like, man, when are you guys going to get the point? Like, what are you going to learn, right? Like, at this point, it, it's, it's like a broken record. Some of you, like, that reference doesn't even mean anything. And if I said a scratch CD, if I said a scratch CD, that wouldn't mean anything to you either. Because you don't even know what a CD is. But, but, but in my day, we would put CDs in, and if there was a scratch in it, it would go back and it would replay, and it wasn't able to move past what where that scratch was. Those of you that remember record players, it's the same thing. Now we have streaming and uh, it would be like buffering. Okay, there we go, buffering. <laughs> like when, you're, when, you're, when your Apple Music or your Spotify is buffering because you don't have service and it's like, I can't get past this part. Like that's kind of where they find themselves. And it's repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. And God, through the prophets now, keeps coming to the kings and he keeps bringing correction and bringing instruction. And at this point, God is like the Verizon guy from the early 2000s. You guys remember those commercials? The guy on the phone and he would take two steps and he would say what? There you go. Can you hear me now? And then he would take two more steps and he would say, can you hear me now? And I think God through the prophets is coming to the nation of Israel and the kingdom of Israel in the north, the kingdom of Judah in the south. And time and time again, he's saying, can you hear me now? Like, how do I have to say it to get through to you? (laughs) Some of you parents, you can empathize with this. Like, I feel like I've told you three or four times to clean your room, but now because you haven't done it, what's going to happen? You're grounded. I'm going to take away your phone. I'm going to take away something. I'm going to do something to make sure that you feel what I've been saying. And as we read the beginning of Isaiah and as we read the beginning of Micah through the prophets, that's what God is doing. He's coming to his children and he's saying, can you hear me now? And because you haven't listened to me for hundreds of years and because you've rebelled and chosen to live your own way, now you're going to have to feel what I've been saying. And there are times in our lives where God has to come and he has to bring discipline. But I'm thankful that, that because he's a loving father, the Bible says that he disciplines those that he loves. And it's not a harsh discipline. It's not a discipline to, to bring pain. It's not a discipline to even bring punishment. It's a discipline to get our attention to bring us back to him. That's the purpose of God's discipline, to bring us back To him, and we've read now in Isaiah and and Micah this week in our Bible reading plan how that God comes and he says, Listen, I've got a bone to pick. I've tried telling you, you're not listening. Now, because you're not listening, the Assyrians are going to come. They're going to take you into captivity. And after the Assyrians are done, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to take you into captivity. But at the end of the day, he says, but, but that's not the end of the story. He says, because one will come. One will come from, from heaven and rule on my behalf. Speaking of the, the Messiah, he will be born in Bethlehem. 
And he gives us a, a hope to look forward to that, that even though you must go through this season of discipline, it's not forever. And if you would just heed my words, there is a hope that you can, you can have and a hope that you can look forward to. And this morning, as we, as we look at the book of Micah, that's where we find ourselves historically. That's where we find ourselves in the history of the nation of Israel. And I want to I wanna take some time and kind of just kind of meander through the first few chapters and, and pull out several verses. And then Micah chapter six is really where I want to get to. And I want to, to give you really at the end of the day, what God wants from you. Have you ever asked that question, God, what do you, what do you want from me? God, what is it that you're truly looking for? Like, what, what do I have to do to please you. And if you've ever asked that question or if you've ever wondered that, then you're in luck because today you're going to get that answer. But as we look at, at Micah, Micah again is a, is a prophet to, to the nation of Israel. God comes to Micah and he says, here's what I want you to, to say to my people. And so, so Micah chapter one, verse two, here's what God says through Micah. He says, attention, let all the people of the world listen. Let the earth and everything in it hear. The sovereign Lord is making accusations against you. That's a dangerous place to be. When, when God makes accusations against you, we've read in scripture how that there are different people who have made accusations against God. Job made accusations against God. God came and put Job in his place, of course, but, but God welcomed that. He says, if you, have, if you have an issue, you can ask and I'll tell you the truth. But here God comes to the people and he's making accusations against them. In verse five, we see why. He says, here's why this is happening, because of the rebellion of Israel, because the sin of the whole nation. Who is to blame for Israel's rebellion? He tells us. He says, Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom, where is the center of idolatry in Judah, the southern kingdom? In Jerusalem, its capital. Here he, he starts by calling out their capitals. He starts by calling out the, the source of idolatry, the source of, of the rebellion. And he says it, it starts in the capital. It starts in Samaria in the north. It starts in Jerusalem in the south, the centers of influence. These were their, their metropolitan areas. This was the, where, where most of the people lived. This was their center of commerce, their, their center of finance, the center of justice and law, their, their center of worship. And he says, this is where it's starting. It starts right in the middle. And God will always go right to the heart of it. He'll go right to the core. He'll never, he'll never just kind of beat around the bush. But when God comes to bring correction in my life, and you've probably noticed this in your life as well, he will go straight to the heart of the matter. He says it's, it's at the, the heart, it's at the capital that, that the rebellion is then spreading out to these other areas. In chapter two, he, he comes to the people and he, he makes accusations against the people on an individual level. He tells them when you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, you take it by fraud and violence. You cheat a man of his property, stealing his family's inheritance. So now his accusations go from, from a, a community sense to an individual sense. He says, here are the things that you are doing that are, that are against the law that I gave to Moses. You'll remember in the, in the law, they, they couldn't, 
couldn't sell the property. They couldn't, they couldn't take somebody else's property. It was always passed down within the family. But, but here they've, they've twisted justice and they've, they've twisted the law to appease themselves where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And it sounds a lot like a system that we live in today where they're, they're distorting and they're twisting and they're taking advantage of those who are, who are not in a position to defend themselves. They're taking advantage of the vulnerable population. And God comes to them. He says, it's wrong what you're doing. This beef I have against you. There's this bone that I have to pick with you. It's not just, it's not just a rebellion in terms of your worship. It's also a rebellion in terms of the way that you're living your lives. So it's a community sense. And then it's an individual sense. And then in chapter three, he, he talks to the leaders. You leaders of Israel, you are supposed to know right from wrong. But you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. He says, it's, it's not just the people, but it's the leadership as well. Verse nine, go ahead and put verse nine up there. Listen, you leaders of Israel, you hate justice and twist all that is right. So the first few chapters we read in the book of Micah are a very sobering read. If you read them this week, hopefully you did. If you're following along in the chron chronological plan, you, you read through those first few chapters and it's like, ugh. Like that hurts. And, and it hurt them. But here's the thing. When I, when I read the things that they were doing that upset God, when I, when I read the rebellion that they were actively participating in, it's not far off from what we're living in today. Like it, was, it was thousands of years ago but it's not far off. What it looks like might change, but at the end of the day, man's heart is man's heart. And it's deceitfully wicked. And it's black and it's evil. And God comes and he says, listen, the way that you're living is wrong. And I've told you and I've warned you, but now because you have failed to heed my warnings, discipline must come. He tells them the Assyrians are coming. But in Micah chapter 6, we are given a very interesting exchange. And, and God comes in Micah chapter 6, and he begins by reminding them of all the things that he's done for them and asks a very simple question. He says, what did I do? What did I do? to make you turn your backs. He says, what did I do other than love you unconditionally? <laughs> he says, what did I do other than bring you out of slavery? What did I do other than bring you into this land flowing with milk and honey? What did I do other than protect you in battle? What did, what did I do that has caused you to turn your backs on me? Micah chapter, chapter 6. He says, oh, my people, what have I done? What have I done to make you tired of me? May we never get tired of God. We can get tired of a lot of things. But may God be one of those things that we never get tired of. May we never get tired of coming to church. May we never get tired of worship. May we, never get, may we never get tired of serving. May we never get tired of loving our community. May we, may we never get tired of those things. 
But here God says, what have, I, what have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me, for I, I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, Miriam to help you. Don't you remember how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed? How Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything that I could to teach you about my faithfulness? Please tell me. What have I done to make you tired of me? I'm sure at that point, they kind of put their heads down and it's like, well, when you say it like that, right? Like, we can get so preoccupied with things going on around us. We can get so preoccupied with culture and society and the ups and the downs and all of those those other things and and if we're not careful, we can allow it to, to tire us out, not just from, from living life, but it can tire us from God as well and can, can lead us away. What have I done to tire you? What, have I, what, have, what, what burden have I placed on you that was too much for you to bear that you chose to, to turn away from me? And if we were honest, we would evaluate, we would ask ourselves the same question, You've done nothing. What have I done that has caused you to worship things in place of me? How have I wronged you that has caused you to to walk away from me? Caused you to to live according to your wants and your desires? Have Have I not provided? Have I not been faithful? Have I not redeemed? Have I not delivered? Have I not healed? Have I not? What have I done? Verse 6, we see the response of the people to God. Here's what they say. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? The response the response to God, in, in, at face value, it's like, okay, they, they, they want to know how to make things right, right? Like, it'd be very easy to read that, and it's like, oh, man, they're willing, to, they're willing to give rivers of oil. They're willing to give all of their calves. They're willing to bring whatever sacrifice is needed. But if you, if you pause to think about the context, their ignorance is showing. Because God comes and he says, listen, you've walked away from me. You've hurt my heart. And their response is, okay, how much is it going to take to make things right? They're treating God, what they're doing is they're treating God like they're pagan gods. Because the pagan gods, if you want a good harvest, just make a sacrifice. If you want to win a battle, just make a sacrifice. And if you make enough sacrifices and make whatever God happy, you'll get what you want. And they're treating God like these pagan gods as if he's a, a spiritual vending machine. How many sacrifices do I have to put in in order to get what I want? Yes, there was a system of sacrifice established in the book of Leviticus. But that system of sacrifices was not to make God happy. 
The reason there was a system of, of blood, blood sacrifice was so that the people of, of God could maintain proximity to God and be in relationship with God. It was never about making God happy and pleasing God. It was about allowing us and unholy and unrighteous people access to a holy and righteous God. Because for him, it's always been about relationship. It's not about the sacrifice. He told, he told uh, King Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. It's not about the sacrifice. It's not about the lambs. It's not about the goats. It's not about the blood. It's not about that stuff. It's about you. I just want you. And the people come to God and say, what, what do we have to pay? How much is it? What's it going to cost us? It's so sad. It's a spirit of religiosity is really what it is. Tell me the right thing to do and I'll do it. Tell me the right thing to say and I'll say it. But it was never about religion. It's about relationship with him. They say, hey, tell us, what do, we, what do we have to sacrifice? Verse 8, Micah responds as mediator, and he says, no, <laughs> no, the Lord has already told you what is good. And the answer to our question today, this is what the Lord requires of you. Three things. Do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do what is right. Love mercy, walk humbly with your God. What does God want from me? He wants you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. That's it. Now we can pray and be dismissed. <laughs> that's all, that's all. It's, it's similar to when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did, what did he respond? How did he respond? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, the, the entire law and all of the prophets rest on these two things. If you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything that you have within you, you'll do what's right. You'll love mercy. You'll walk humbly with him. If you, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll do what's right. You'll love mercy. You'll walk humbly with him. It's very simple, but it's not easy. And I've said that before, and I will say that again. It's very simple, but it's not easy. See, as we look at this, the first thing that we see Micah give is, is we have to do what is right. Depending on your translation, your translation might say to, to act justly or to act with justice. It's this this idea of doing the right thing, not just some of the time, but all of the time. It's, it's integrity. It's doing what you know should be done. Not just when people are watching, not just on Sunday mornings, but, but all the time. See, they, they were worshiping other gods. They were robbing and cheating people. They were twisting the laws. They were taking advantage of the vulnerable in their communities. And God says, knock it off. He says, you know better. You have to do better. You know what I've said, and, and you have to do what is right. Isaiah chapter 29, we, we see a very similar, similar thing. As he's talking against the spirit of religiosity, God comes through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Same thing that Isaiah is communicating to the nation of Israel. Jesus will later come and quote this exact same passage to the Pharisees. Micah said it. Isaiah said it. Jesus said it. And now today, he's still saying it to his church. He's still saying it to his people. It's not about religion. It's not about doing the right thing to say that you've done the right thing, but it's about doing the right thing out of your love and relationship with me. See, there's a difference between doing it just to check it off a list, and there's a difference between doing it because I want to do it. There's a difference between obeying God's word out of religion and obeying God out of your love for him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Is your obedience based in man-made rules and rote? Or is your obedience based out of your love for your heavenly father? See, it's the same religious spirit that caused the Pharisees to take advantage, to exalt themselves. It's the same religious spirit that causes us to come into church week after week and maybe drop something in the basket on our way out and feel like we've done We've done our job for the week, and then Monday we go and we live like the world. And that's what God's saying to them. He says, yeah, you, you can come and offer me sacrifices, but the very next day you're offering sacrifices to this God, and you're worshiping this pagan idol, and you're doing this over here, and you're taking advantage of people. Like, you say one thing with your mouth, but I judge the heart, and your heart is far from me. God wants us to do the right thing for the right reasons. And there's a lot of us who, who know God's word, but it's not enough to know God's word. The Pharisees knew God's word. Israelites knew God's word. It's not enough to know his word, but we have to walk in his ways as well. We have to do what is right. The second thing that he, he says is we have to love mercy. We have to love mercy. What is mercy? The original word for mercy used is the the Hebrew word has said, it really means love and loving kindness. It's translated numerous times throughout scripture as loving kindness, but, but it's this kindness, this undeserved kindness that comes from a place of love. We see God's mercy shown on his people. We see God's mercy shown to us. We see his mercy in, in him sending his son. We see his mercy in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's, it's kindness and it's love that we don't deserve, yet he gives it anyway. We did nothing to deserve mercy. And yet because of his love and his kindness, he extends it to all of us. We must also live the same way, especially when we don't feel like it. You ever had somebody hurt you? You ever had somebody say something behind your back? You ever had somebody stab you in the back? You ever had somebody at work just like use you as their ladder to get to where they were going? It hurts. It doesn't feel good. Mercy is kindness and love and generosity and compassion to those people, even the people who hurt me. Yes, even the people who hurt you. Even the people who don't deserve it. Yes, even and especially the people who don't deserve it. If it was deserved, then it wouldn't be mercy. But because it's undeserved, that's what makes it merciful. 
I heard this story about Napoleon Bonaparte, and he had this young man in his ranks who had committed an infraction, and the penalty for this infraction was death. And so this, this man was, was put into to prison. He was sentenced to die. And one day his mother comes to Napoleon and says, hey, can you, can you pardon my son? And Napoleon says, no, I can't pardon your son because of the crime that he committed. Justice requires that he be put to death. And her response was, I'm not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. And Napoleon says, well, your son doesn't deserve mercy. And she said, if he deserved it, then it wouldn't be mercy. But mercy is what I'm asking for. See, mercy is undeserved. Mercy is unwarranted. Mercy is instead of getting what you deserve, you get kindness instead. James chapter two tells us that there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. How many of you need mercy in your life? How many of you, when God looks on you, your first thought is, God, would you look on me with mercy? Because I've done things and I've said things and I've messed up and I've, I need mercy every day. <laughs> I need mercy from my wife every day. I need mercy from my kids every day. I, I need mercy every day. And James says, there's, there's not going to be mercy if you haven't shown mercy. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. We have to love mercy. Notice he doesn't just say you have to have mercy or you have to show mercy. He says you must love it. You must desire mercy. You must be passionate about mercy. It's one thing to be nice because you have to be nice. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. It's one thing to to put a smile on your face and be nice to your boss because if you don't, you're getting fired. It's one, thing, it's one thing to be nice because you have to be nice. It's another thing to be full of kindness because you love kindness. It's another thing to be merciful because you love mercy. He says, here's what I want from you. Here's what, here's what I require. I want you to do what is right. Act justly. Don't take advantage. You know what you should do? Do it. James says, New Testament book of James says that for, for him to, to know what he ought to do and do it not for him, it is sin. Yeah. Do you know that? When it comes to doing what is right, when you know the right thing to do and if you don't do it for you, it is sin. Yeah. Do what is right. Love mercy. Be passionate about it. Show undeserved kindness and love to everybody that you interact with. My boss, yes, your boss. My classmate, yes, your classmate. My teachers, yes, especially your teachers. My parents, my kids, everyone that you come in contact with, you have to love mercy. Extend it every opportunity you get. It's not about stepping over somebody to get where you want to go. It's not about taking advantage. It's not about getting all you can. It's not about looking out for number one. You are not number one. You're not. You being number one is what got you in the point where God is making accusations against you. We have to love mercy. The third thing that he says is to what? We have to do what is right. We have to love mercy, walk humbly. Here's, how I would, here's what I would say. You have to understand your need for God. Because really at the end of the day, that's what humility is. I think... It's easy for us to have a, 
a false understanding or a false sense of what humility is. It's easy for us to walk around with false humility, saying things that give off the impression of humility when at the end of the day, it's just our pride inside of us because we want people to think highly of us. And so we say things to make us appear humble and really we're just building ourselves up on the inside. False humility. Oh no, it wasn't that big of a deal. But on the inside, we're just puffed up with pride. What is true humility? Yes, humility is about lowering ourselves, but it's not thinking less of ourselves. Because as we read God's word, we see that we are his masterpiece. We are his craftsmanship. We are his most prized of all creation. We are the ones that he has chosen to be in relationship with. We are the ones that Jesus stepped out of eternity and took upon himself the form of a man and gave up his life so that we could live and have relationship with the Father. So it's, so it's not about like diminishing our worth or our value, but it's a, an accurate understanding of our worth and our value, not compared to one another, but compared to him. That's true humility, is having an accurate understanding of who I am compared to a holy and righteous God. And yes, I am his prize. And yes, I am his beloved. And yes, I am. But compared to him, I'm nothing. I don't deserve, I'm not worthy of anything. That's what humility is. And when you have true humility, walking humbly with your God, understanding your place in relationship with him, then it's very easy for you to recognize how much you need him. I think the, the problem with us is we are so prideful. And at the end of the day, you can trace, I firmly believe you can trace every sin back to pride. Lucifer in heaven, most beautiful of all the angels. What was his sin? Pride. I'm going to ascend to the throne. And his pride got him, and third of all the angels, kicked out of heaven in the garden. Eve. Pride. In your life, if you sat down and pondered and, and thought about it, I guarantee you, every sin in your life, Go back to pride. We are so prideful. Why? Because we put ourselves at the center of ourselves. We're at the center of it all. Listen, you, sir, ma'am, young person, you are not the center of the universe. The world doesn't revolve around you. People in your life, their lives don't revolve around you. God does not revolve around you but we are so prideful that we put ourselves at the center of everything. Micah says, walk humbly with your God. Have a posture of humility as you're in relationship with God. But we put everything first. We put ourselves first. We put, we put our jobs first. At the expense of my family. Put my job first, even though I'm sacrificing my family. We put our happiness first, even if it means divorce. I just want to be happy. We put our success first. Even if we have to stab someone else in the back, 
We put our pleasure first, even if it means not waiting for marriage. We put our self-esteem first, even if it means tearing other people down with my words. Put my plan for my life first, even if it means ignoring God. See, to walk humbly and to have an accurate understanding of your need and your place in, in this world and in relationship with him means that you recognize you need him to be at the center of everything. You need him to be first in all things. You need him to, to be first in all of your decisions. You need him to be first in all of your actions. You need him to be first in all of your attitudes. You need him to be first in all of your conversations. You need him to be first in all of your business dealings. You need him to be first in all of your relationships. You need him to be first at home. You need him to be first at work, at school. You need him first in your finances. See, if he doesn't come first, then that means that you've placed something as first in his stead. And it's the very same thing that, that God came and judged Israel for. So sure, you can, you can come and worship me on Sunday mornings, but if Monday through Saturday there are other things on the, the altar of your heart, you're no different than the Pharisees. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your worship of me is nothing but man-made rules and rote. It's just to put on a facade to make everybody think that you've got it all together when in reality, you're broken inside. When we read through the New Testament, it's easy for us to, to read through and it's like, oh man, I wanna, I wanna be John. I wanna be the one that Jesus loved, right? I wanna be the one that beats Peter to the tomb that morning. I want, to be, I want to be this person, I want to be that person. I wonder what it was like to be the disciples passing out baskets of fish and bread and coming back and there still being more. I wonder what it would be like. I'd like to be Peter to jump out of the boat and to, to walk on water, even if it was just for a, a short period of time. I'd, I'd like to be, we put ourselves in these different positions in scripture and it's like, man, I wonder what that was like. I wonder what he felt. I wonder what they experienced. But as we read the New Testament, you know who we're most like? The Pharisees. I think, I think most like the Pharisees where we, we know God's word. We have God's word. On Sundays, we can come in and we can even quote God's word. We might drop something in a basket here and then. We might even be, be giving the full tithe. But then when we leave church, are there other things that our heart is directed to more than it's directed to God? Are there places and things that we've established that we worship in place of God? Are there things that, as we sang this morning, that we've built our lives on rather than building them on God? Jesus comes and he says, your heart's are far from me. Okay, God, so what do you want? What is it that you're looking for? What can I do? It's not about sacrifice. What can I do? You can do what is right. You can love mercy. And you can walk humbly. Do what is right. Love mercy. And walk humbly. Simple. But it's not easy. 
If you haven't written it down yet, I'll give you one more chance to write it down. Do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly. Do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly. This week, when, you, when you're at work, this week, when you're at home, no one's looking around, no one's there to make sure that you do the right thing, will you do what is right? This week, when you're faced with a, a decision to make, rather than asking what's best for me or what do I get out of it, will you ask, what's the right thing to do? What's the just thing to do? In your interactions with people who are less than deserving, will you choose to love mercy and extend undeserved kindness? The people who have, have hurt you and the people who have stabbed you in the back and the people who you've been struggling with and you know that you need to forgive, but it's like, God, how can I forgive them? Because you love mercy. God, how can I get past that? How can I get over that? Because you love mercy. When you have those interactions with those people who just take everything out of you, you know who I'm talking about. Some of you have a picture of that person right now in your mind. And right next to them, you need to stamp, love mercy. God, help me to love mercy. God, when they come into work, help me to love mercy. God, when I see them next, help me to love mercy. God, when I see them in the coffee shop after service, help me to love mercy. And walk humbly. Walk humbly. God, is there anything that I've, I've centered my life around that is not you? My desire, my passion, my dreams, my goals, my hobbies, my interests, my relationships, my career path, my success. What are those things that, that I've put in your place? And God, help me to have a proper understanding of my need for you. That I would, that I would humble myself, not out of self-degradation or to, to, to just throw myself in the dirt, but God, I thank you that I am your beloved. I thank you that I am your masterpiece. I thank you that in the history of mankind, there has only been one John Weasel and the rest of the world thanks you for that too, God. <laughs> but Lord, help me to have an understanding of where I stand, not as I compare myself to other people, but as I understand my relation to you. Because you are so big and so mighty and so holy and so righteous. And God, in light of who you are, I am nothing and I can do nothing without you. Lord, today we put you at the center of our hearts. We put you at the center of our lives. Lord, even as the Israelites says, as different kings would come and a king would come and eventually he would tear down those places of worship. Lord, today we tear down those places of worship in our hearts. Anything that we've established that is taking place of worship of you, Lord, forgive us. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's, it's always useful and it's always profitable and it's always teaching us and it's always encouraging us and it's always correcting us and it's always disciplining us and showing us the things we do good, showing us the areas where maybe we're missing the mark. Lord, we miss the mark so often. 
which is why you sent your son and Jesus, which is why you ascended into heaven and said, it's better for you that I go. Because if I go, then I'll send the, the comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Lord, today we, we repent. Even as you sent the prophets to, to bring correction to your people, today you've come and you've brought correction to us. And again, reminded us that it's not about the, the songs that we sing It's not about how much we give. It's not about how often we're in church. It's not about whether we raise our hands. It's not not about any of those things. It's about relationship. It's never been about religion. It's about proximity to you, intimacy with you. It's about doing what is right, not out of a place of have to, but, but out of a place that overflows for our love for you. God, help us to love mercy. We reflect your heart and your character as you've been so merciful with us. Who are we then to withhold mercy from those around us? It's like the man in the New Testament who, the story you shared with the man who had a small debt, the man who had a big debt. The man who had the big debt was forgiven. He went and chased down a man who owed him a couple dollars. So I'm going to throw you into prison unless you pay me back. And it's like, how can we who have been forgiven of so much, who have been shown so much mercy, not also show mercy to those around us? And Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk humbly with you. And we would humble ourselves, getting rid of any pride, putting you at the center, that you would come first in all things. Or may it not just be a declaration of our mouths today, but may it be backed up in the way that we live, in our actions, in our words, in our conversations, in the way that we treat others, that you would be at the center of it all. We need you. We can't do it without you. We are nothing without you. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you strengthen us? Would you equip us to live the life that you have called us to live? That we would be those icons of you. Give us opportunities this week to put into practice that which we've heard. That's what you've shared with us today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you, church. You are dismissed. Have a great week. See you guys next Sunday. Love you. Be blessed. Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We encourage you to explore our past sermon series and classes to help you find the abundant life in Christ. And don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell for all our latest videos.